Why do we believe that? Why do we believe it's so important? Guys, I know I stress this every Sunday morning when I stand in the pulpit. It is so, so, so important to know what you believe. It's so important what you believe. And it's equally important to know why you believe what you believe. This morning, we're going to be looking at the work of Christ, part two. The work of Christ, part two. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we bow in great gratitude and thanks. Thanking you, Father, for another Lord's Day, another opportunity to gather with our brothers and sisters, and Father, maybe even those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're thankful for those that's gathered into this place today, not only physically, but those that have joined us online today. God, right now we pray that you would just give us eyes to see your word, your truth, your goodness, your grace, your mercy. God, give us ears to hear today, that we'll listen carefully, that we'll be swift to hear and slow to speak. Father, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just awaken our minds, dear God, to process, to understand what we're about to receive from your word today. And Father, as it all falls into our hearts today, let our hearts be soft and pliable. Let our hearts be humble. Let our hearts be obedient and repentant and give you more of us because you've given your all for us. God, as we preach this message today, let it not be my words, but your words. And God, you be glorified and accomplish all that you've set out to do today. In the mighty, wonderful name we pray of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the entire New Testament, the whole book, the entire New Testament, teaches the humiliated and the the exalted Christ uh, as the core of the gospel. Uh, Last week, we looked at the humiliation. We looked at the humiliation of Christ. We talked about His incarnation, God taking upon flesh and being born into the world. We, we looked at His sinless, perfect life that He lived in order to go to Calvary and be the perfect, sinless Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which allowed Him to be our atonement, the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was able to pay in full The sin debt that you owed and I owed and all of God's elect owed. That's his humiliation. Also, his exaltation includes his resurrection that we're going to be talking about today. Not only his resurrection, but after he was resurrected, he ascended back to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, which is called his session. And then as he sits there at the right hand of the Father, he is our intercessor. He's constantly interceding for you and I, the church, the born-again believers. And at God's appointed time, guess what's going to happen? He's going to return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, last week we talked and spent our time on the state of Jesus' humiliation. So this week, I want us to look at his exaltation. As you came in this morning, hopefully you got one of these Inside of that are several goodies we've put in there for you, one of which is a listening guide. I'd love for you to take your listening guide out this morning and follow along. If you didn't get one as you come in, would you just lift your hand, and Robert or Marvin one will bring one to you. Anybody need a listening guide? Here we go. Everybody's getting better at getting one of those, aren't they? We want you to use these, folks. Uh, 
There's just so many uses. As you fill in the blank, you're listening, you're grabbing the Word of God, you're writing it down, you take this home with you, you can study it throughout the week, you can share it with loved ones or friends to let them know what we're studying. It's just a great Bible study in and of itself. But take out your listening guides. We're going to start this morning with the state of exaltation. The state of exaltation. The works of the exalted Christ begin with his resurrection. So this morning, let's look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. In addition to Christ coming, and in addition to uh, the uh, in addition to the coming and the continued work of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts is a story of the apostles proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was their message: that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus was risen from the dead. That was the message of the gospel. That was the message proclaimed uh, by the apostles all throughout the book of Acts, the epistles, all of the writings of the New Testament. And they were proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, and they continued to pray, and they continued to pray, and they continued to pray. Prayer is so important, church. And I confess to you today, if there's one area of my Christian walk that I falter in, and I'm ashamed of, it's my prayer life. You say, preacher, you don't pray? Yes, I pray, but I certainly don't pray enough. I need to pray more. I don't know about you. You might consider that today. How much do you pray? How much time do you spend communicating with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God the Father? But the disciples, they're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they're continuing to pray to Christ as the one who is living and reigning in heaven. In Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, it says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, say confidence this morning, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh uh, see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. Here we are in the book of Acts. And, and, And the Bible is proclaiming, the apostles is proclaiming that God has said from times of old that Jesus would come and die and he would certainly be resurrected from the dead. And much like Acts, the epistles, the epistles throughout the New Testament, they also depend entirely on the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The book of Revelation also repeatedly shows the risen Christ sitting in heaven, reigning in heaven, preparing for his return to conquer the enemies and reign in everlasting glory. People all the time asking, Preacher, why don't you get all tore up? Why ain't you been out of shape about everything going in the world today? Because I am convinced, I have great confidence that Jesus Christ is seated in his heavenly throne in heaven and he's reigning and ruling over all creation. And let me promise you this, it's going according to plan. You think it's bad now? We ain't seen nothing yet. 
It's going to get darker and darker and darker. And then out of nowhere, in the blink of an eye, the light is going to split the eastern sky and he's going to illuminate all the world and he's going to light it up as it is. He's going to snatch his church out of here and take her home and we're going to spend some time with him and then we're going to come back and reign for a thousand years. And then Satan and the false prophet and the beast, they're going to be loosed out of the pit and they're going to wage war and they're going to be defeated for all of eternity. And then the great battle of Armageddon will take place. And then, as John said, the new city of Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and we're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and all the saints that's going on. I'm confident of that. Matter of fact, I'm a cheerleader for that. Here's where I'm at today. Jesus, you didn't come yesterday. Would you please consider coming today? My prayer is he comes back before this church service is over. Hey, I'm ready. I'm packed up and ready, aren't you? I've got more on the other side to be thankful for than I do here. And I'm ready for the Lord to come back. He is going to return and conquer every enemy, and he is going to reign in everlasting glory, and we're going to reign with him. So, why is the resurrection of Jesus so important to us? Why is the resurrection so important to the church, to believers? Well, because Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. It ensures our regeneration. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. That's to be said with great exaltation. I mean, church, we need to make some noise for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, if you don't like noisy worship, don't go to heaven. Just simply don't go to heaven. I, I was back there today, and I was watching and enjoying as worship was going on. And, and, and Miss Barbara is one of the most beautiful worshipers I've ever experienced in all of my life. Just pure worship. She ain't worried who else is in the room. All she knows is her and Jesus are dancing, and she's dancing for him and praising him. And I look over here, and Boone is imitating her. And you know how wonderful that is? And Chelsea and Dustin, please, please, never, ever, ever tell him to stop that. You know, why do we want to teach a kid not to worship? You know, let them worship. Let them dance before the Lord. Let them shout amen. I, I noticed one of the songs ended, and, and, and Boone just said, hey! That was a shout of amen. That was a hallelujah. Why? Because his heart is engaged in worship. We need to be more like children, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And we need to be more like little Miss Barbara. We just need to forget anybody else is here and forget anything else is going on. And we just need to get in his presence and worship him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he, listen church, y'all remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Y'all remember Uncle Jed? You know what this message is going to be like? This is going to be one of them wee doggy messages. You ready? I mean, I mean, last week was good, but this is gooder. Now, because last week Jesus is born, Jesus has lived a sinless life, and that's all great and wonderful, and we ended with Jesus dying on the cross and being put in the tomb. And as we read a moment ago, a lot of people have died. King David lived a glorious life. He was a man after God's own heart. He, was, he died and he was buried, and guess what? He's still buried. 
But Jesus came, and Jesus lived a sinless life, and Jesus was crucified, and Jesus was placed in a tomb, and millions and millions and millions and millions of people has visited his graveside, and guess what? He's not there. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us today, continuing, continuing the plan of God. And because of that, we have reason to rejoice. We have great reason to rejoice. Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, get this, He has caused us to be born again. Now that's good. That's great. That's wonderful. But not only has He caused us to be born again, but He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not just a hope, certainly not a dead hope, not a stale hope, not a paused hope, but an active hope. An active hope, a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here Peter explicitly connects Jesus' resurrection with our regeneration, that is us being Born again. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, we too would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. So his resurrection is absolutely essential to our salvation. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So in his resurrection, Jesus earned for us. Jesus died and was resurrected. He earned for us a new life just like his. And I just don't believe that Christians in 2021 are are really fully aware of believing everything that we believe and why we believe it. You know, it's kind of like the Scripture, oh, oh, why downcast is thy soul, or however that, however that verse goes. But you understand that we ought not to be long-faced Christians. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's going on in the world, there's no reason to wear a frown. We have every reason to smile 24 hours a day, seven days a week, knowing that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because we've been raised up with Him. We have been seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That that is our position in the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'm as good as already there. The only thing stand between me and being there is death. And there's no fear of death for those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we don't receive all the benefits of the resurrected life immediately in the here and now when we become Christians because our bodies, this flesh, our bodies remain as they were. Our bodies are still subject to weakness. Our body is still subject to aging. Our bodies are still subject to death. But in our spirits, say spirits, in our spirits, in our hearts, we're made alive with new resurrection power. Realize that, know that, believe that, practice that, 
live that way, that in our hearts, in our spirits, we are made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ with new resurrection power. Not only does Christ's resurrection ensure our regeneration, oh my goodness, y'all better get ready. It ensures our justification. Now, ignore the fact that that's a word that you don't use every day in your vocabulary. Let's just, let's just find out what justification really means to a believer. Let's start in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What does that mean? By raising Jesus from the dead... God the Father was in effect saying that He approved, that He received, that He accepted Christ's work of suffering and dying in our place for our sins. We looked at this last week. He who knew no sin became sin for us. As Jesus was nailed to the cross of Calvary, He became your sins and He became my sins. Your sins and my sins was placed upon him, and that's why he had to die, because the wages of sin is death. But as he began to bleed, and as they pierced his side, and blood and water gushed out of him, he was shedding his blood to wash our sins away. That brings about our justification. I, I love to say it this way. This is not the first time you've ever heard this. But when we become born again, as vile as we are, as evil as we are, and that's one of the problems today. People don't believe they're evil. People don't believe they're evil. As long as we can find someone that's a little more evil than we are, we justify ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Right? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Why are you trying to take the beam out of your brother's eye? Why are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a beam sticking out of yours? See, part of the problem with the world today is they can always point their finger at someone else and say, You're more evil than I am. The truth of the matter is, that's a lie. All people are equally evil in God's eyes. Why? Because the Bible says, For all have and fall short of God's glory. In order to get people saved, you first have to get them lost. That's the point of the law. You have to use the law to prove to people they've broken the law because if they've not broken the law, then why do they need to be saved? And if people don't think they're evil, then why should they get excited about justification? See, well, apart from justification, we can have no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be saved. We will not spend eternity in heaven with God for all of eternity if we're not regenerated, if we're not justified. Now, here's how you can use the word justified to understand what it means. In our evilness, in our deadness to trespasses and sins, God came along, called us out of that deadness. He regenerated us. He caused us to be born again. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. And because of what He did for us, it's as if, now listen, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if. I'd never, ever sin. Do you understand that that is my position in Jesus Christ today? 
As a believer, do you know that you're standing before God today? He sees you as he sees his son, Jesus Christ, if you're born again and saved. All of your sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. They're forgiven. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, they're all forgiven. They're all under the blood. And you are as pure and holy as the Lord Jesus Christ in your position in Christ. Now we got to do the hard part. we got to live up to that. Yeah, that's a good place for an amen. Got all excited. Oh, good. I can just chill and relax now. Everything's good. Well, in a sense, in your mind and in your heart, be convinced that everything's good. My sins are under the blood. Woo, yahoo. But in the meantime, we have to strive to be sinless. We have to strive to be like Jesus, to be the light of the world. But know that our possession in Christ is we are justified. Now listen closely. Listen closely. There is no longer a penalty left to pay for sin. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid for your sin. Jesus paid for my sin. And if he paid for it, I no longer owe it. I owe him a life of sanctification I owe him a life of holiness. But there is no more penalty for my sin because I have been justified through the atonement and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no longer a penalty left to pay for sin. There's no more wrath of God to bear. Jesus took the full wrath of God upon himself on the cross of Calvary. Steve Looper, as a born-again believer, will never endure one ounce of the wrath of God. Now, this will create a worshipful heart in you when you get it. When you know what you believe and why you believe it, this will create a worshiping heart. No longer any wrath of God to bear. No more guilt. Say guilt. No more guilt or liability to punishment. God never punishes sins that have already been punished. Get that. There's no sin in my life that I'll ever be punished for because Jesus fully took my punishment for sin. Wait a minute, preacher. The Bible says that he chastens those that he loves. Did you know chastening and punishment is not the same word? It's not the same word. Chastisement is correction. Loving correction of the Father. It's not punishing. If God punishes us for sin and he also punishes Jesus for sin... That's double indemnity, is it not? No more, no more penalty left to pay for sin. No more wrath of God to bear. No more guilt or liability to punishment. No guilt remains for those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That causes us to square our shoulders back, hold our heads up high, put a smile on our face. I'm not talking about being puffed up in pride. I'm talking about squaring our shoulders back, wearing a smile, knowing in our minds, knowing in our hearts, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his resurrection, I am justified. And I am proud of the fact that God loves me and God saved me. And I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. You have been regenerated if you've been born again. Same thing. You are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies. 
I thought the place would break out in worship right there. I mean, I thought church will break out right here. When I tell everybody in that house that when we get to heaven, we're going to get brand new resurrected bodies, I, I, just, I just heard the organ crank up, and I heard a drum beat start playing, and I saw you all jump to your feet, and you was just dancing in place. But you didn't. Are you happy with your body? I started to say, I know you ain't. Never mind. Never mind. Let's just say I could retire a lot earlier if we would quit buying exercise equipment that we never use. There's something in a human mind that if you buy exercise equipment, you will become slim. Right? It's working for the manufacturers. It's not working for me. Not working for my bank account either. Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrected bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.14 And God raised the Lord up and will also raise us up by His power. Jesus went into the tomb bloody. He went into the tomb scarred. He went into the tomb as He hung on the cross. Now, most likely they bathed his body, but his body was still ripped to shreds from the beatings. His beard remained to be plucked out. So the body that went into the tomb was a very abused, worn-out body. But I promise you, the body that came out of the tomb was a brand-new, glorified body. And this scripture says, God raised the Lord up, and he will also raise us up by His power in the same way. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Knowing, say knowing. Knowing, God, give our minds the ability to comprehend what we're hearing today. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. The only thing that stands in the presence of God is perfection. And when we get there, we will be perfect just like Jesus is perfect. Because of Christ's resurrection, we will forever be healed. Is that not good? We will forever be healed. We will forever be glorified. We will not be susceptible to the curse of sin ever again because we will be just like Jesus Christ. Now that's the resurrection. And, and, and nothing is possible apart from the resurrection. But it didn't stop with the resurrection. Let's move on to the ascension of Christ. The ascension of Jesus Christ. That is, as He came to earth and was born in the manger of His mother Mary, He lived a sinless life, He was crucified, He was placed in the tomb, He was gloriously resurrected. But after His resurrection, He didn't hang around on planet earth because He had more work to do in glory. He ascended. He returned to heaven, the ascension of Christ. Acts chapter 2, verses 33 through 36 says this, Being therefore exalted, we're talking about the exaltation of Christ today, therefore being exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father, get this, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, say for certain, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ for certain has ascended back to heaven and taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. If you believe that, shout amen. So the ascension, his returning to heaven, is the prerequisite of Christ's subsequent saving Works Now, everything that needed to be done on planet Earth was done on planet Earth when he was here on planet Earth. But then he returned to heaven to complete his work. The ascension is the prerequisite of Christ's subsequent saving works. We saw in that scripture I just shared with you, one of the first things he did when he got back to heaven, he received the Holy Spirit from the Father, didn't he? He received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he has poured that out upon his church, upon his brothers and sisters, upon the children of God. The ascension was necessary. The ascension was necessary for Christ to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. Christ makes this claim explicitly in John chapter 16 and verse 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, that I ascend back to the Father after the resurrection. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit of God, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit of God today? Now, upon Christ's ascension, we just read that He received the Holy Spirit from God. And then as as he was seated there in, in the heavenlies, performing the work of prophet and priest and king, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church as a blessing. The Holy Spirit is the power of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the power of the church. It's the power of God unto salvation. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we are powerless. We are powerless. That's why one of the first things he did when he ascended on high, he sent the comforter, he sent the helper, he sent the power. That's why he said, hey, I know you all are excited about the calling that I've put on your lives. I know you're excited to go preach the gospel. But listen, Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, but you'll be powerless. So you go back to Jerusalem and you wait. You just sit and you wait until I send the Holy Spirit, until I send the power, until I send the comforter, because you can't go powerless. And you can't go without comfort because there's wolves out there and they're going to beat your brains out. You're going to need the Holy Spirit in order to be the church. And that's one of the things the church is missing today. We, 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 can, we have our own abilities and talents and we can play music and we can preach and we can set up chairs and, and we can display words on screens and we can go through the motions. But did you know that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of churches around the world today that have church on a regular basis and God is never present? God is never present. Why? Humanity loves to be in control. And when God shows up, He plays second fiddle to nobody. 
God is God and we are not. Christ is king and we are not. The Holy Spirit is one that leads us into worship and we are not. We need, we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the moving of the Holy Spirit to lead us into the throne room of God to do everything we do as a church. He is the power of the church. Let's move on to the ascension was necessary for Christ's work of intercession. Why it's so important to study and know the entire Bible. The law as it was given in the Old Testament is a fulfilled law now in the New Testament. And just as in the days of the Old Testament where there was God and and high priest and sacrifices and those type of things that had to happen on an ongoing basis. Why? Because humanity didn't have access to God. To this day, humanity still does not have access to God except through the one and only great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just show up at God's doorstep and say, Hey, it's Steve. You better listen up. You might get struck by lightning if you try that two or three times. The only way I get a word in edgewise to God today is through the intercessor, through my great high priest, Jesus himself. He is the go-between. He is the go-between. The ascension was necessary for Christ's work of intercession. In Hebrews 8, Christ's intercession is his current priestly ministry to us, his people. Our great high priest, our great intercessor is the Lord Jesus Christ today in heavenly. And this heavenly ministry is possible only, only as Christ takes his position as a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Old word from the Old Testament. That position is achieved only by his ascension. He had to die. He had to be Uh, resurrected from the dead, and he had to ascend back to heaven for us to receive salvation and for us to make it as Christians and for us to get home one day after a while. The ascension was also necessary for the second coming of Christ. I'm just mentioning these. We're going to dig a little deeper into each one of them in just a moment. Peter declared this truth before the Sanhedrin in Acts 3.21. He said, Whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Now I know, folks, we cannot fully grasp God's Word. We can't. Not until we get home will we fully understand every word of the Word of God. And although we can't fully grasp the mystery of God's plan, it does require that Jesus ascend into heaven and rule and empower His church so that the kingdom of God continues to grow. We can only grow because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We can only grow because of the resurrection. We can only grow because of the ascension. We can only grow because He sent the Holy Spirit and empowered us. Christ's ascension saves in that every benefit that the church receives from Jesus, from heaven, would be impossible. Say impossible. It would be impossible unless He first ascended to take His position There, his position there is called his session. His session, the session of Christ. Acts 5, 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
But God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Get that? That's justification. That's purification. That's right standing with God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who does what? Justifies through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is doing what? Interceding for us. Us being God's elect. Us being God's children. Us being the redeemed. Colossians chapter 3 says this, If you then have been raised with Christ, can we get a sound off? If you've been raised with Christ, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. This is talking to you. This is talking to me. This is us, folks. This is reason for a wee doggy. You understand what I'm saying? If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, let me just give you a little lesson here. I'm not going to teach you anything you don't know. But let's just, let's just give you an example. If I'm walking across this stage and I'm looking up, what am I seeing? What is up? I'm not seeing what's down. I'm not seeing what's here. If we will obey this scripture right here, if we will focus our gaze on our eternal home and quit focusing all of our energy and money and attention on our temporary home, how much of the cares of this life fades away? How much of the burdens of this life passes away? This is a command. Now, I tricked you, didn't I? I ask you, if you've been raised with Christ, shout hallelujah. You done done that. You're guilty. You're guilty. You've been raised with Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, here's what the Bible says. Seek the things that are above. And if you're giving all of your energy and attention to the things above, you can care less about the things below. Can I get an amen? Then why, oh why, oh why? Do we spend so much time and energy and concern on the things below? There should be one object of concern of things below, and that's lost souls. The only time you need to look down from looking up is to be like Jesus, seeking and saving those who are lost. How do we seek and save the lost? By presenting Jesus to them, sharing the gospel. Otherwise, look up. Look up. Look up. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Where is Christ? He is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. Say that next word for me. Not on things that are on earth. See, I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm preaching you the word. 
This is why we need ears to hear. This is why we need eyes to see. This is why we need minds to comprehend and hearts to obey. This is why it's so important to know what we believe and why we believe it. Set your minds. The mind is the processing of all of life. Let your every thought be on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And I bet nine out of ten people say, but. Well, that's your issue. That's your problem. Here's what preacher's going to do. Preacher's going to look up. Well, Brother Steve, if you're always looking up, you're going to trip and fall. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why? Because I'm being led of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd. His word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. There is no stumbling for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? We're living in Him. I'm already seated with Him in heaven. He will give me a view of where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I'm going home one day. And I'm going to take as many people as I can with me. But that's on you. That's on you. Listen, here's what we don't understand. When you was born again, you died. Wait a minute, Brother Steve. How can you be born again and die? The old way of life is now death. When Jesus walked out of the grave, he left death behind. When you and I walked out of our deadness of trespasses and sins, we left death behind us. Now we're living the new life. I forget what day it was, maybe Thursday. I become a pa again. Number seven, amen, amen, go ahead. I'll let you clap for that. Miss Annie Elizabeth was born. Little bitty, bitty baby, just eight pounds and three ounces. No wonder Leslie was losing her mind. Leslie only weighs 18 pounds, and the baby was eight of that, so go figure, you know. That creates misery in you. But when Annie came out of that tomb, out of that womb... She left all those unnecessary things behind. And when she come out of the tomb, she began to breathe on her own, and her heart was beating, and blood's pumping, and now she's eating, and she's living the new life, isn't she? Can you, do you grasp the concept of keeping your eyes and your heart and your mind focused upon eternity and God and eternal life? Why? Because... That old, that old life died. You get that? That life is dead. Why do we keep dragging it out of the grave and living in it? What, what is fun about death? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why are you looking up? Because God is there and Christ is there and guess who else is there? Me. The forever me is already there. I'm looking home. I'm looking home. When Christ, get this church, get, get the language of this, when Christ who is your life, can you say that today? 
I mean, can you say that wholeheartedly? Christ is my life. You know, being a chaplain in a nursing home, just this past week, I, I visited with a godly old saint of God. He's 97 years old. Last week, he buried his wife of 72 years. The first thing he wanted to tell me was, Preacher, I got saved when I was 17 years old. Now, this is, this, I, I just first laid eyes on this man this past week, and the first words out of his mouth, I said, Hey, my name's Steve. I'm a chaplain here. And he said, Hey, my name's so and so. And he said, Preacher, I, the first thing out of his mouth, Preacher, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 17 years old. Now, here's a man that's been breathing for 97 years, a hero of World War II. Sharp as a tack in his mind. And the first thing he wanted to talk about, I have belonged to Jesus since I was 17 years old. Why did he tell me that? Because that's been his life. That's been his life. Can you today with a clear conscience convince me or convince anyone else that Christ is your life? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The session of Christ indicates the completion of Christ's work of redemption, the redeeming part was concluded here on earth. When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he had other work to do, but the work of salvation was complete. Just like we sit down at the end of a hard day's work and, and we're tired and we're satisfied with what we've accomplished. Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father satisfied with what he had accomplished. The session of Christ indicates that he received authority. Get this church over the entire universe. God is in control. Now, I know you all know that I believe that. Y'all know that, don't you? I believe God is in control. People listening over the internet, they know Steve Looper believes God is in control. Because it's, 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 it's odd and it's kind of funny that in conversations that I have out in the community, and even with you folks, we'll be talking about things, and, 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 and this happened just this past Wednesday night. I was talking to a young man out in the foyer, and he said, you know, and I know you believe God's got everything under control, but why are we going the but direction? If God has got it under control, God's got it under control, Right? Brother Steve, why do you believe so passionately that God has got everything under control? Because His Word tells me so. And because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, He has authority over all the universe. This is what Paul refers to in Ephesians 1 when he says that God raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That is control. So, let's dig into each of these quickly and we'll be done. 
Let's look at the intercession of Christ. Psalm 110 and verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is God speaking of his son, Jesus Christ. God swore it and he's not changing his mind that Jesus Christ is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Isaiah 53, 2, he continues his prophecy of Christ as the intercessor. He said, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Aren't you thankful we have someone representing us accurately and fully and effectively before God 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Intercession, intercessing for you and I. Romans 8, 31 and 34. What shall we say to these things? Write this down. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, them darn Democrats, that's who. Them rhino Republicans, that's who. Them independents. This and that and China, Russia, Venezuela. What shall we say to these things? Let's say what the Word says. Let's not say what lost people say. Let's not say what politicians say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What shall we say? If we're the church, let's say church things. Here's the problem. You ain't got your eyes fixed on eternity. You got your eyes fixed on the here and now. So the here and now is keeping you inflamed, keeping you irritated, keeping you uneasy, causing you to wage war on something you cannot wage war on because it's not flesh and blood. It's powers and principalities. It's good versus evil. And God has already won. We've got a Super Bowl coming up. If you knew now who was going to win that Super Bowl, as you're watching the game, and the team that you know for a fact is going to win... If they're behind right up through the fourth quarter and there's 30 seconds to play and they only need three points and he walks up and he's about to kick a field goal, you know who's going to win. It's the fourth quarter. There's 30 seconds left to play and the guy that's going to punt the ball is, is on the field. Are you the least bit worried about how that game ends? Why? Because you know how the game ends. I know how life ends. I know how the world ends. Why sit on the edge of my seat? Why worry? Why pace the floor? Why be anxious? And why spend any amount of time worrying about where this world is going? The world is going to hell. And the church is going to heaven. And God has already won the war. Then why are you spending so much time worrying about it? Explain that to me. What then shall we say to these things? Amen, brother. Ain't nobody else going to support me. Boone's got my back. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? Nobody. Calm down. Be a saint of God. Be saved. Fix your gaze on heaven. Spend your time and your energy and your income and everything else you've got on the kingdom work of God. That's a settled deal. You can't lose when you invest in heaven. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Now, did he do that? Did God spare his son? Did he allow him to go to the cross and give his life? He did that, didn't he? And it was his one and only son. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Say all. God made the deposit in your bank account. You just ain't writing checks. You're living like a pauper. And your God is a gazillionaire. And he's giving you a checkbook and said, write checks. It's inexhaustible. Who? There again, who? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is intercessing for who? We've got a direct line to Almighty God. And it's Christ Jesus, the risen Savior. And if I will but live out the Word of God, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be, if you'll look up, quit looking down. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He's already paid it in full. He's already paid it in full. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. After making the final sacrifice for sins, Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at God's right hand. He poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church and He began His role as intercessor on our behalf. When I forget to pray, He's still praying for me. When I'm not looking up, He's reaching down and lifting my chin and saying, Look up, Steve. Look up, Steve. He's my intercessor. Christ appears in God's presence on our behalf. The testimony of Scripture is that Christ has risen, He's ascended, and He appeared in the presence of God on our behalf, okay? Christ's intercession is one means by which God enables His people to continue in faith and obedience. Do you get that? I have a part to play in this. Once I'm saved and born again, I have a part to play in this. And I have to play my part, but I don't play it by myself. I'm super empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables me to do my part. 
And Christ is interceding for me always. And because of His intercession, I am enabled to continue my walk of faith and obedience. Christ's priestly intercession is not only continual, He's not always praying to the Father for more strength for Steve and more forgiveness of Steve and all the things that Steve needs. He's always interceding for me. Not only is He interceding for me continuously, but His intercession is effective. You ever prayed a prayer and you think, I just wonder if God heard that? I promise you this. Every word the Son utters, the Father hears. It's effective. It's effective. John eleven forty two. 42, I knew that you always hear me. This is Jesus to the Father. Father, I knew, I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. God, I want everybody to know that you always hear me and you always answer. And that's who's interceding for us. He's always successful. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Say uttermost. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Christ since he always lives to make intercession for them. I'm safe and secure in my salvation because Christ is safe and secure in the Father today. The second coming of Christ. We've got to get done with this. This is the good part. This is the good part. The second coming of Christ. Even in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed i wonder who he is speaking of and what kingdom he's speaking of he's speaking of the lord jesus christ and he's speaking of the eternal kingdom of God. We move into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost. And He will place the sheep on His right hand but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared before you from the foundation of the world. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Look up, church. Look up. That's where our eyes need to be fixed. That's where our minds need to be fixed. That's where our hearts need to be fixed. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. Say heaven. Now, if our citizenship is in heaven, then it's not on earth. I've shared this with you before. Occasionally, we get to get away. A couple years ago, we went to the beach with him and Shannon. We spent a week down there. You know what I took with me? I think like two pairs of shorts and two T-shirts, a toothbrush. You know what Michelle took? We won't get into that. We had a washer and dryer in the room. I ain't going out nowhere fancy. I'm going to bed, to the bathroom, and to the beach. The three B's. I'm going to the bed, the bathroom, and the beach. 
And a t-shirt and short works in all three of those situations. And when I come back, I put on the clean pair and wash the dirty pair. And I get these dirty and I put on the clean pair and wash the dirty pair. And I'm brushing my teeth and having vacation. Now, why would you pack so lightly? Because the beach ain't my home. You understand? I I packed light because that's not my home. I needed very little things while I was down there. I knew I was going home. And that's where I laid up all my treasures. My treasures are still laid up in Monterey, Tennessee, because that's my earthly home. All we need here on planet Earth is two pair of shorts and two T-shirts and a toothbrush. Why? Because this ain't our home. That is our home. What we need to take up there, Steve, not a thing. It's all provided for. Amen? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory, the second coming of Christ. Therefore, prepare your what? For what? Yes, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. How do you stay sober-minded? You keep your eyes off the world and you keep your eyes on heaven. Be sober-minded. Set your hope. What? Fully. If you give it fully to that, what do you have left for this? Goose egg. Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved. We are God's children now. Now, not then. Now we're God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, say no. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Jesus' return means our being with Him and the Father. I will gladly leave here any second of any day to be home with Jesus. That's my mind. That's my heart. That's my hope. Jesus proclaims this in the Gospel of John. He said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you will be also, Paul tells the Thessalonians, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, say through Jesus, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us who are alive today, if the Lord were to come back today, this is us. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Get this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus' return brings glory. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Beloved, we are God's children now. What shall we What we shall be has not appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. I'm breezing through these. Jesus' return brings eternal life. Near the end of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Repeat that back to me. Behold, I am coming soon. Do you believe that? Are you living like that? Behold, I'm coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Jesus' return will bring much joy. Why? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Waiting for our blessed hope. Say blessed hope. We're waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing. Our hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good Works and Jesus' return is going to bring deliverance. Going to bring deliverance. Deliverance takes on two forms. First, he is going to deliver his people from any persecution they are enduring. Church, write this down and date it today. I'm serious. Persecution is coming to the American Christians, it's coming quickly. And it will come harshly. You need to know why you believe what you believe. Because persecution is coming. It's coming quickly. And it's coming harshly. Write it down and date it. Pastor Steve said, January 31st, 2021. Persecution is coming. It's coming quickly. And it's coming harshly to the American Christian. I promise you. It's coming. Brother Steve, what's good news about that? We will be delivered from it. We will be delivered from it. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who inflict you. See, God has the final word. Those who inflict God's people will also be inflicted. And to grant relief to us, His church, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, listen, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is not in your listening guide, and I apologize. I'll make the point and roll forward. Jesus' return will also bring the kingdom of our inheritance. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus' return also brings cosmic Restoration. Everything that's broken 
will be made new. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Times of refreshing is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ is what we read in Acts chapter 3. For whom heaven must receive until the time uh, for restoring of all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Isaiah says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. For the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. I get this, church. Coming to a close. The return of Jesus Christ is going to bring this to God's elect. John the Revelator said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. All that time and attention and money we're putting into the down here passed away. But the treasure that we lay up in glory will remain forever. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Folks, this is our future. This is what the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing to us. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You get that? Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Folks, I've just preached to you a gospel message. I've just preached to you the truth of God's word. And my heart just burns with passion and desire for you to get what God has delivered for us today. It's not going to get any better down here. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then the Lord is going to catch us out of here. And when it's all said and done, the new, new city of Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven. And everything I just read to you is going to be reality. No need to worry. No need to fret. 
No need to be anxious if you belong to the Lord. If you belong to the Lord. One more verse of Scripture. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you say that bottom line with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Come, Lord Jesus. One more time. One, two, three. Come, Lord Jesus. Now see, the saved, the redeemed, the born again, the spirit-filled, those who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, those who know that their names are written in the last book of life, we can say that with encouragement and with great exaltation. We can say, come, Lord Jesus. But here's my question. Are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? Michelle was asking me last night, had I heard about a friend of ours, husband had passed away recently, just a couple of weeks ago. Came home from work, I guess ate supper, went and sat down at his computer, fell face forward and died. He didn't wake up that morning expecting to die unexpectedly. He didn't even come home from work expecting to die before he went to bed. But in an instant of time, he went from living to dead. And the only thing that matters in that moment is this. Are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? Because at that moment, grace is over and mercy is over and forgiveness is over. You will reap your due reward. But I'll ask you again, right now in this moment of time, are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? If not, If not, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Here's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every human being is a sinner before God. And the Bible says the wages of sin, that is, the payment for being a sinner is death and hell. But get this. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. What is the gift of God? It's the forgiveness of the sins. And as I preached to you today and last week, here is how all of that works. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will never perish but have everlasting life. So today, everybody in this room is a sinner. The only difference is some of those sinners are forgiven and saved and born again and others aren't. 
But God loves you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus was resurrected from the dead for your salvation. Preacher, what do I have to do? You have to receive the gift. You just receive the gift. How, how do you receive the gift? You confess with your mouth right now the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that right now. Just say, Jesus, you are my Lord. If you've never ever said that in your life, say that with me right now. Jesus, you are my Lord. And saying that with your mouth, believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to die for your sins. And three days later, He was resurrected from the dead. If you've never confessed that to God, would you do that right now? Just say, God, I believe Jesus died for me. And God, I believe that You resurrected Him on the third day. Jesus, You are my Lord. And my Savior. The best part of all says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And let me just tell you what just happened today. If you've never confessed to Jesus, You are my Lord, you've done that today. And if you've never believed in your heart that you're a sinner and Jesus died for those sins and He was resurrected on the third day, I pray you did that today. And I pray you confess that to God. And I pray with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all your soul and all of your strength, you love God today. Enough to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And friend, listen to me. If you did that today, you have been saved. You have been redeemed. And yeah, you are one of God's children for all eternity.